Superman Movie Minutes, the show that scrutinizes, analyzes, and you'll believe a man can fly eyes the 1978 Superman the Movie, five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Rob Kelly, and joining me, as always, through this journey through time and space is... Chris Franklin. Howdy, Chris. Hey, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. We have a very special guest for this uh, set of minutes, minutes uh, 41 through 46 of Superman the Movie. It is the host of the Superman Forever radio show, Bob Fisher. Hello, Bob. Hey, Rob. Hi, Chris. How are you guys? Good. Yeah, we are very so- special. Wow, I feel all ooh tingly inside. <laughs> <laughs> you have to do your best to live up to that intro. So uh, yeah. yeah, we're, we're very happy to have best. you. We're very happy to have you here. We know you are a giant Superman fan from from a long ways back, and so we, we knew we had yeah. to have you on here to talk about this movie. And before we get to the minutes uh, specifically that we're here to cover, we do want to ask you, like, you know. What's your history with this movie? Did you see it in the theaters when it came out? What was your reaction to it? I mean, because you're, you're, I think, am I, am I wrong in saying that sort of your Superman is George Reeves? That's your number one Superman? Yeah, I, you know, yeah. Uh, at Being my age, as a little kid, I was watching the George Reeves show in real time. So, uh, as it aired for the first time in the late 50s. So, yeah, you would say that George Reeves uh, is my live-action Superman. And uh, Kurt Swan is my, you know, comic book Superman. But uh, I did see this movie in the theater. And uh, (laughs) a little bit of an interesting story. In the late 70s, I worked at a radio station here in Richmond. And uh, the Warner Brothers rep uh, was bringing us records all the time and trying to get us to play this or that. We were a rock and roll radio station. But uh, the way I remember it, my wife says it may not have happened quite this way, but this is kind of the way I remember it. The, uh, the, the Warner Brothers record rep, well, like I said, was always trying to get us to play certain records. And we had our own little thing. We were a progressive rock and roll station. But uh, I knew the movie was coming out, and uh, I told the Warner Brothers rep. He was always hanging out at our radio station anyway. He was a big friend of the radio station. And uh, so uh, I actually, I don't remember who he was trying to get us to play, but it wasn't our format. And I said, I'll tell you what, give me a couple of tickets to the movie coming up, and I'll uh, see what I can do. (laughs) Well, I didn't think, I was, you know, I didn't think anything of it. But, you know, a week later or so, he showed up and he said, I couldn't get you four, but I have three. Is that okay? I said, oh, that's great. What theater? And he said, well, you're going to have to drive to Washington. What? D.C.? Washington? Now, Richmond's only like 90 minutes away from Washington. It's not that far. I said, okay, fine. Well, it turns out he gave me tickets to the Washington, D.C. premiere. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, I was uh, in the same theater with Jimmy Carter and his daughter, Amy, and... Uh, it was pretty big deal, actually. I didn't realize we were going to the premiere until the we drive up there all the way to Washington. And I thought, wow, there's a lot of traffic for this thing. What is going on here? There were spotlights. There were cops everywhere. There were bulletin boards. There was just, I had no idea what was going on. I thought we were just going up to see the movie. Well, it was just jam-packed. I mean, absolutely packed and we had tickets we walked up to the door and i thought oh my god that line well we're just not gonna this is crazy 
the guy walked us right in. He saw our tickets, walked us. We had blue tickets or something, and he just said, come on in. My wife, who was not my wife at the time, she was my girlfriend, and her younger brother, those were the three tickets. That's who we went. And uh, so we're sitting about, um, it was a beautiful theater, Washington, D.C., packed house, and not really knowing what to expect, and again, not realizing that I was in the midst of the Washington, D.C. premiere of this movie. I still didn't get it yet. I was just so excited to see the movie. We had great seats for watching the movie. Things are just so excited. Everything's happening. It, it was just, I, it's, it's hard to, um, you know, put into words. Seeing this movie, not really knowing what to expect, thrilled about it, seeing it for the first time, and it had only aired one other time. I think the L.A. opening was the night before. So there was still nothing, you know, it, it was just, in those days, you didn't have the Internet. So people weren't coming home right away putting up, you know, scenes and stuff. <laughs> I'd only seen the trailer. So just the, the thrills and stuff. But anyway, we get back the next day. And I'm looking in the newspaper. And I thought, well, that was a fun night. And all those people and everything. And the motorcades and stuff. Well, that was just fun. Well, then I find out when we got back home that, oh, the president and his daughter was there in the same theater in the balcony. Oh, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. yeah, it was, it was, you know, everything you would want. A red carpet thing, cops everywhere, spotlights in the sky. Uh, it, it, was, it was thrilling. It was absolutely thrilling. And I hadn't watched this movie again for, I don't know, maybe a year. And which is unusual. I usually watch it every year, but I hadn't watched it in quite a while. And when you guys said you were going to do this, I said, okay. And, you know, we put our times in. I knew which minutes I was going to fast forward to my spot, right? Well, that didn't happen. I, <laughs> <laughs> as soon as the credits roll, you just kind of sit back. And, you, and I've been trying watching it this time to remember uh, and try to put myself back in that theater at that moment watching it for the first time, because we've seen this movie now, how many, hundreds of times? I mean, we can't count the number of times. Uh, and I heard you, Rob, say not too long ago that you had seen this movie, like, countless times. Yeah, I'm in the hundreds at this point. Yeah, yeah. and I'm in the hundreds, too. And it's Me just... Too. Okay, good. So, so, I mean, we know dialogue. We know, we know so much about this movie now. So what I've been trying to do... Uh, is sit here on my big screen and try to put myself back in that theater for the first time. And I'm telling you, in that couple of scenes, the chills were right back up the neck again. I was smiling. I was laughing when he flew for the first time at the camera. The audience went absolutely nuts. And the chills, people were standing and cheering during this movie. It was absolutely amazing. So... You know, it's hard for me kind of, you know, you have that feeling, Rob, because you went to see, you know, and <laughs> the, the, yeah, uh, not a movie, but a concert that had, you know, some of the, you know, yeah, George oh, Harrison yeah, right. and yeah, 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 Bob Dylan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of know what that's like when you're in the room with something very special and you know it's special at the moment you're there. I knew about four minutes, five minutes into this movie, sitting in that theater, 
that this was special. This was this was not just a comic book. This was not just Superman. This is special. And they had done something that had not been done before. And uh, I was sitting there watching it, and only maybe a thousand other people had seen it previous to that time. So even more special now. But uh, I'm telling you, it was it was quite a thrill to see your favorite character up there. And Chris Reeve was, well, perfect. I mean, he's just absolutely perfect. And um, especially as Superman. So I still think I like George Reeve's Clark Clint better than Christopher Reeve. Right. So, <laughs> so, even, so even though George Reeves is your Superman, you were totally accepting of this version. You were like, no, this oh is my terrific. God. Oh, absolutely. I, it would, there were chills. There were the moment he, Christopher Reeve, came on screen. Uh, I was standing up. I stood up when the, in the, when we see him in the costume for the first time, right at the end of the scene we're going to talk about, it, when he flies towards that camera, I stood up and cheered <laughs> along with everybody else in that audience. I was seeing Superman on the screen. It was, it, it, it was thrilling. It was amazing. You know, and it's, it's a little hard sometimes to explain to young people who've just grown up and they just have this instant access to pretty much any media type they want. Picture yourself not really knowing. You had seen a trailer on ABC or something for it. You'd seen one commercial for it. I had uh, every magazine I could find that had pictures. I still have all those magazines of it, of Chris pointing and just looking great in the suit before I'd seen it. So I was really looking forward to this. But my expectations were so far exceeded. It, it was, it was um, you know... It was just one of those things. It was one of those things that you just will remember forever. It, it, it became part of me. Uh, you know, I can, you know, have multiple heroes in my brain. You know, I, I can love George Reeves. He's my Superman. But then I can also turn around and say, yeah, well, so is Chris Reeves. He was perfect as Superman. He was, the, you know, the comic book. He jumped right out of the comic book. He was perfect. Uh, well, except for the Clark Kent part, but <laughs> I still I still love him as Clark Kent. It's but it's an emotional thing, but um, yeah, you know, and I can do that. I do the same thing with Zorro and my other guys. I love Guy Williams. I grew up with Guy Williams is my Zorro, but I can watch every Zorro movie out there and love it for something because I love the character so much. So it's kind of the same for Superman. Uh, I love Henry Cavill. I wish they gave him something better to do with it, but. Uh, I think he has potential to be a great Superman. But it, to me, Chris Reeve in this movie did something that um, just changed everything. It really changed everything. So, And to see it as an adult, as a young adult. I mean, I was 26 years old working at a radio station, a hip rock and roll. I mean, I just thought I had it all. I just was living the big life. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was just having a great time in my 20s. And now I've got tickets to go see this movie. And I thought, well, this will be fun. We go to Washington three, four, five times a year for shows or whatever. We, we, it's not that far. We go up all the time. And, but not to know that it was the premiere uh, was, you know, uh, a little naive of me. And, uh, but at the same time, I'm glad because of the way it worked out. You know, you're, it's one of those things where, uh, I mean, it's fun when you're, when you, when you're able to see movies like this for the first time on the big screen 
not really knowing any details or plot holes or you're just watching it. It's like seeing Star Wars for the first time, which I also did in the theater, not knowing we saw a poster and said, hey, you want to go see a movie? Yeah, that one looks good. Space movie of some kind. Let's go see that. (laughs) You know, that's what was life, you know. Seeing uh, seeing the movie with a bunch of Washington people, what was the? Do you remember what the reaction was to Lois's line about you're going to be fighting every every elected official in Washington when he says I'm here Huge. to fight for truth, justice, and the American <laughs> Yes, yeah, laughs. Huge laugh. Uh, everybody was on every syllable in that theater. Uh, in the quiet scenes when Jor El is talking, and when other things, you could hear a pin drop. It was. Um, I don't think I've ever experienced a movie like this before where it seemed like everybody was just into every single syllable. And it was a huge, gorgeous theater with lush seats and crystal chandeliers. And, you know, it was huge. And, uh, you know, it opened, I think, four days, five days later here in Richmond. And uh, we went to the theater. You know, in those days, you could literally buy a ticket and sit there. and. Uh, uh, we went one Saturday afternoon to a matinee and went in at about three and didn't leave until midnight. We just watched it over and over and over and over. We ate at the theater and went back in. So, you know, it was, it made that kind of an impression on me. Man, what did you, what did you have to do to pay back that Warner's rep? Like pay, play the Bay City Rollers every day for a month or what? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think it was Donna Summer. I think I had, because we were rock and roll, but disco was really big at the time. And we were fighting it with everything we had. (laughs) And uh, I think on my win, uh, on my Sunday show, uh, if I remember correctly, I think I had to feature uh, a disco, uh, whoever Warner Brothers was. It was Donna Summer or somebody. I forget exactly who it was, but... Uh, yeah, pretty close to everything. I would have, you know, I, when I saw him the next time, I told him I uh, I needed to kiss his feet or something. I owed him. I took him to dinner, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, he always hung around our radio station. We because we were kind of the the cult hippie progressive rock and roll. We weren't the top forty station. We were the place you could go to have fun and and um, uh, he had fun. Uh, I we we. Uh, yeah, I treated him nicely. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> amazing. He did you a hell of a yeah, song. It was, <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. And wow. uh, but it was, it was. You know, I can remember it right now. Again, the it, just seeing this thing on the big screen for the first time, and all the promotion saying you will believe a man can fly. Well, I already did because I was a little kid watching Superman George Reeves. I had no problem even in a little black and white. TV set believing a man could fly, but seeing Chris Reeve actually do it for the first time, and then some of the stuff we see in this movie that hadn't happened in movies ever, um, it, it just it was it was staggering. It was blowing blowing me away, wow. blowing me away. Wow. Well, uh, after that story, I think these minutes are going to be a little anticlimactic, but we will, <laughs> <laughs> we, will we will persevere. Uh, as I said, the minutes we're talking about are minutes 41 through 46. They start with uh, the crystal falling into the ice, and they close with uh, Jorel saying, in the next year we shall examine the human heart. So uh, this, you know, it's funny. This is something Chris and I have talked about in previous episodes about, you know, for this movie is two and a half hours, two hours and 23 minutes, at least the theatrical cut. 
And mm. it takes a while for Superman to show up. You know, the movie is called Superman, but it takes a good 50 minutes for Superman to show up. So yeah. you could you could picture that the studio would be kind of like, you know, can you hurry this up? You know, can we get to Superman already? But, I mean, like, this whole sequence of the fortress being built as the uh, shards of glass and ice come shooting up out of the out of the ground, like, Richard Donner and his editor, Stuart Baird, they really take their time. You know, there's this this whole, of this of these five minutes, like, the good half, for, two and a half of it is just these shards coming up out of the water and forming. And I, I like how Richard Donner, again, doesn't rush this, because this has to feel significant. You know, this is big. The Fortress of Solitude is going to be a big part of this movie's mythology. So you really have to get the feeling of this is an important moment. This is, you know, Superman's lifeline to his home planet. And so this, you know, we're not going to just, this isn't going to be done off off uh, camera. You know, this is a huge moment. And uh, the whole moment, it ends with this uh, the great John Williams music. As the, it crescendos as we see this wonderful matte painting of the Fortress of Solitude as it's finishing and it's like glowing and it's gonna, I mean, it's just a great sequence. And it, it to me, it underscores how important this home away from home, uh, the, this building is gonna be to, to young Cal. Yeah, I, I think, and I've, I've mentioned in other episodes that I really like how they kind of added that, that mythic element to it by making the fortress and, you know, the, the more or less the ghost of Jor-El, you know, part of it. I mean, that's something that's, Different from the comics, although Krypton did have a some fantastical elements. They had dragons. They had like the Rondor and things like that, you know. Uh, but I, th- that's just something the 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 scope, the the epic scope of the fortress, you know, forming is is it it, it kind of just speaks to the the whole epic approach to the movie, you know. I mean, this is this larger than life myth, you know that. The, the way Donner's portraying it on the screen, and I think the fortress is actually a really good, uh, you know, representation of that. And it's, you know, it, it, it's done so well, and it holds up so well, and it's amazing to think that's all practical effects. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it's just amazing <laughs> right. to think that there were all these little individual pieces of crystal they made that, you know, obviously really wasn't crystal, probably plastic, that were, you know, pushed up on hydraulics, and you know, I mean. It, it's just amazing to think that what what went into making that happen and making it believable. Yeah, absolutely. I am uh, agreed with that on, on on both accounts. It even looking at it today, it is so surprising that they literally took their time. It's almost like even from the very beginning of this movie, from the Krypton scenes to the Smallville scenes to now the Fortress stuff. They took their time setting this thing up. The anticipation was, and still is, just, it's just thrilling. That's why that quick little bit of him just flying towards the camera and all, you cheer because we've seen him for the first time. But then it quickly cuts, and where'd he go? <laughs> now, we're, now we're Clark Kent again. But it was just brilliant, I think, the way that Donner took his time and made sure that... Everything about this, understanding the crystal, uh, putting the crystal in the right place, showing the technology, but like you said, it, it, bringing up with these with, with, with practical special effects, uh, you know, seeing this thing being built and coming out of that and then and glowing and all of that. At first, I thought, well, that's not the fortress. That's not <laughs> Where's the giant key? 
Where's the yeah. key? Yeah, where's the key? That's not the fortress. And that lasted for about 10 seconds. Uh, you know, and I just, you know, you, those are things that I guess longtime fans of any media or any property really have to, you know, you have to understand that every so often they're going to change things around. They're going to update it or try to update it or make it for a new audience. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, I think this worked. I was uh, not thrilled about the Krypton. I like the Silver Age Krypton of, you know, happy people and a planet that you're sorry to see explode. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I was kind of glad this Krypton exploded. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know, and and I felt the same way about John Burns, Man of Steel. I was really glad that Krypton exploded. It was they needed to explode. And let's get on with the real story. But the building of this fortress and seeing that they took their time with what you're saying, out of this five-minute chunk, half of it is is a special effect. It's the building, it's the, the, the creation of the fortress out of the snow and up in the Arctic and the ice. Uh, I did have the one question I was thinking to myself is, how did he know where to, which crystal to pick up? You walk up to that that um, console with all the tubes, the glass tubes and the crystals, he picked one up and put it in the right spot, apparently, for Jor-El's floating head to come out and say hello. How did he know, how did he know where to put that? <laughs> well, they cut out the scene where he got the guy talking about the poem with the tree. Exactly, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Ten minutes of Clark putting in wrong crystals, and it's like there's like the stereo instructions, and there's like the how to get good how TV How do you the VCR? Yeah. <laughs> right. I thought that would have been funny, too. No, I didn't have the time, but, you know, seeing it hundreds of times, I'm often thinking, how did he know? Why didn't – that would have been funny if he put it in the wrong way and something happened. A voice came out and says, "No, no, no! The blue one in the red socket, <laughs> or something. I don't know." Which one of these is the uh, Which one of these is the adult movie channel? I mean, I'm you know, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm a man. Did Krypton have Did Krypton have the World Wide Web? Yeah. Where's <laughs> Google? How do I? Get Google? I am curious about something though. Is when we see Clark walk. You know, first of all, the fortress is built like a good couple of miles away from where he's standing. Like it's pretty far away. <laughs> And then yeah. we see him scaling the the sort of you know different l- levels, which is again not really built for human uh, use because it's kind of hard to, to climb these things. Does do you think? Do either one of you think Clark knows he can fly yet? Now I know why we haven't oh. seen it because yeah. we're waiting for the big reveal. But do you think yeah. that Clark would? I guess Clark is is hoofing it because he doesn't know he can doesn't need to hoof it. He can just fly across. Yeah, I don't think he knows he can fly. Uh, and I think that's why they actually put in that line from Jor-El saying that you have great powers even more than you know. You've already... Okay. All right. So I think he's kind of like, we know he can run fast and jump pretty far because he outran the train in Smallville. And so, you know, we know that he knows he can do certain things. But I think it's kind of like Smallville that, that he didn't fly until Jor-El taught him how in the fortress somehow okay that makes sense yeah that's that that would be my guess too and i think that's one reason why we saw that aerial shot in the last episode where he's walking to the fortress you know right right uh, 
Now, now, you know, he does have powers. Like he says, he's got other powers he hadn't discovered. I think Clark kind of zoned out when he did the levitation finger trick that the Phantom Zone guys get. <laughs> right. But he totally aced the cellophane shield class. That's just all I'm good. <laughs> That's a, I love that power. That's an awesome. <laughs> yeah, I like it better than the rebuild the China Wall vision. <laughs> <laughs> right. One of, the, um, one of the other things I do like about uh, the, this whole speech that we get of uh, Marlon Brando showing up as Jor-El is the idea that um, that Superman or there were the Clark Kent or Cal really he's not really even Clark. Right. Well, I guess he is Clark Kent. Yeah, but I mean, one of the idea of Cal is that like he needs to be trained. He needs to be ready, uh, and that's a, that's a really, of course, big difference from the comic books, where the minute he was a baby, they put a little cape on him, and they're like, "Oh, super baby, go and you know, go and solve you know problems." Right. Here, it's right. like, there's this whole idea that he is just really holding back until Jor-El can train him, and I, I like that idea. I see why you know you wouldn't want to turn him into Superboy in the in the movie because you want to make it special that when he finally right. debuts, he's Superman. But it's it's a very different notion than in the comic book. Here, it's it's all about it's it's almost like a Batman Year One kind of thing, where it's like he's got to go through extensive training, and we're gonna exactly. we're gonna we're gonna learn here. I mean, we said when um, Jarrell has that line about in the next year we shall examine the human heart. Like this takes years. Clark is years, in the fortress for years, which is twelve. That's an amazing, twelve years. Twelve years, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah that's it's what dialogue said. You know, it, it, Marlon Brando said 12 years, actually. He actually said the phrase, and you're something, it will have been 12 years. Wow. It has been 12 years. So, so, so is, uh, is, is Martha he's 30. Just... Basically, yes. He's 18 when he gets to the fortress. He goes through 12 years of learning and training with the floating head Marlon Brando, and then uh, can come out as Superman. And we just saw, and we just, in this six minute, basically the five to seven minutes right after, this is his 12-year training that we're seeing in about 10 minutes. Wow. So so is he not speaking to Martha? Is Martha just, for 12 years, Martha's just like, I don't know what happened to my son? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, that, you see, bingo. There is another really good question that I had in this movie even years and years ago is, there's a whole movie right there. The 12 years, what, was he really just in the fortress and didn't go anywhere, see anybody, do anything? What, where, you know, did Mark, was he just living in the fortress 24-7, did not go back to see his parents? Other, you know, John Byrne and, and being said, that's why he did his year one thing where Clark just uh, traveled around the world. So he was being trained at the fortress, but he was also traveling the world and picking up stuff and doing stuff and whatever, but not being Superman uh, until the end. I don't know. I kind of like the idea that he literally just lived and breathed in the fortress for 12 years. It was his uh, doctorate training. He went to college got his master's, and then went back for his doctorate. It took him 12 years. <laughs> wow. And comes out with a doctor of superpowerdom or something. <laughs> there he I, is. I just yeah. want to know where he got his, uh, he got his degree in journalism. Uh, you know, that's, that's exactly, <laughs> you know, well, he was such a fast typer. He didn't, he didn't, need, but you know, uh, Rob, you said something in this, that the reason they didn't do Superboy in this is because they wanted Superman to be special. Okay, that is exactly 
just in comic book history for 30 seconds, exactly what uh, Mort Weisinger and the other editors at DC Comics did when Jerry Siegel in 1938, like two months after Superman Action One had hit the stands, Jerry Siegel wrote a Superboy story and turned it in. They turned it down and kept turning it down because they said, no, if they're Superboy, that takes away from Superman's uh, Superman being special. Well, then we find out that the Superboy that Jerry Siegel was writing and turning in that they kept turning down until 1944 was Superboy the juvenile delinquent. He was using <laughs> his he was using his powers to create havoc everywhere, pulling pranks, doing all kinds of crazy stuff with his superpowers. And Jerry thought that's how he's going to learn to be Superman by at first being a little kid prankster punk of some kind. And then something will happen in his later teen years that opens his eyes and he says, Oh no, I can't do that. So he, that's what Jerry Siegel wanted him to be start out bad and then learn to become good. And uh, Mort Weisinger, I think in his own wisdom said, "Mm, no, we're going to make him goody, goody, goody from the very beginning. And uh, but yeah, they they kept Superboy out for years because if there was a Superboy, that will take away from there being a Superman, his specialness. And uh, so I think that was interesting that you made that comment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, you know this 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 movie kind of made me. Even though I bought Superboy comics and and enjoyed them, there was a part of me that always did like it better that he wasn't Superboy because I I subscribed to that even as a little kid that. It took away from him debuting as Superman because to me, even though I had comics before and I watched the George Reeves series, this was like Superman gospel, the movie, you know, so. Right, right. uh, So, you know, and and my and the way I reconciled George and Chris was and I've said this before is George was the Earth 2 Superman and Chris was the Earth 1 Superman. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) And and he wasn't Superboy in in the George Reeves show ever either. Right, so, he was. Uh, yeah, exactly. He was only Superboy in the comics, but I will just in the comics. I, I that's still my biggest complaint, or one of my complaints with the reboot in '86 was that they not only got rid of Superboy, they made him the big baddie that killed the whole universe or yeah. something. So they <laughs> said we're going to get rid of him, and we're going to get rid of him for good. No. I am. I feel fortunate that I barely know what you're talking about. <laughs> I have like a vague notion of that storyline, but I didn't read it, and I, I don't want to. Um, one, other yeah, co- one other comment that uh, Jarrell makes in this little speech, uh, which I find interesting, is he says, "You are the." First of all, he doesn't know how to pronounce his own planet's name, but that's another thing. Right. But, um, <laughs> he says, exactly. you, are, "You are the only survivor of the planet Krypton." Krypton. So, so does yeah. that mean uh, that there no one ever left the planet? I mean, there. I mean, this seems like a pretty advanced uh, society. I would assume they have intergalactic space travel, so that means no Kryptonian has ever left the planet. I mean, you—if you really want to be nitpicky, you could say, "Well, the the, the Phantom Zone villains are survivors of the planet Krypton because they're off the planet." But, but I mean, I guess he's maybe saying, "Well, they're never going to escape. They'll never going to escape, so we don't have to worry about that." But I mean, has literally no one ever left Krypton? Because how can Jor-El be so sure that there are no other Kryptonians out there? Well, that's, you know, a really good question, and it depends, like so many things with Superman, which era and which, you know, Superman are you talking about? There was a time where uh, 
Krypton started a space program, but something terrible happened, and I forgot exactly what it was. I think Jack Sir, it might have been Jack Sir, blew up one of their moons. And it was inhabited. So many Kryptonians would go to their one of their moons. They inhabited uh, one of their moons, which had which had atmosphere and stuff. So Jack Sir blew it up, and uh, he was their first mass murderer, killed millions and millions of people, and he was the first one they put into the Phantom Zone. And um, so technically they did, but. Uh, apparently their science council and somebody said uh, space travel we're not ready for yet and we need to use our resources here on the planet. And, you know, I think if you look at it politically, it's one of these things like the government knew the planet was going to blow up, even though, you know, Jor-El, they make it seem like Jor-El knew it and tried to convince everybody else and nobody else believed him. Uh, uh, there are certain storylines where the government knew they understood, but knew they couldn't do anything about it, and they weren't going to leave the planet, and they just forbid him to even talk about it. Yeah, uh, yeah. so it depends on you know who, I guess, is writing it. Uh, Man of Steel did some of that. Man of Steel gave you the impression that uh, it wasn't just that Jor-El knew and was you know, being treated like a madman. The council knew too, but they they didn't want him to say anything. They didn't want to panic the people, just let them all die. So then there's there's some version, I can't remember if it was the burn version or some iteration of the post crisis, but there's some version where they like were genetically uh altered to where they couldn't leave the planet or something. There was there's there's some version somewhere like that. And I don't I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with this movie, I don't think, but, <laughs> but you know, but but it was something, and, and that one reason that, that Superman, Kal-El, was able to leave because he wasn't born with their, he was born, he was created the old-fashioned way, you know? Right, so, right. Which Kryptonians weren't in this, in the post-crisis version. He was, you know, he was made the old-fashioned way, so he didn't have all that genetic manipula- manipulation and his, you know, the birthing matrix and all that stuff, so. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I liked about this version, too, the, the movie version. He's an actual baby. He was born on Krypton, actual mm-hmm. baby. Mm-hmm. None of this Matrix crap. And then, oops, he was born in Kansas, so he's an American. No, yeah. he's not. He's a Kryptonian. <laughs> Stop this nonsense. But, <laughs> you know, but, but uh, uh, that is something that was very special. Oh, oh. Well, what I wanted to mention too in this is the the Marlon Brando bit because we haven't really talked too much about Brando, and that's really the main part of this little five minute bit here is the creating creation of the fortress and uh, 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 Kal-El meeting Jor-El for the first time the the computer simulation of Jor-El's floating head. Now, uh, I'm kind of on record as as not being a huge fan of Marlon Brando's version of Jor-El. You know, it's kind of the white wig kind of makes me laugh a little bit. (laughs) It takes away from the seriousness. There's two areas where, you know, we all know the backstory now where Marlon took this thing, basically said, I'm not going to do it until you pay me $3 million a day. Okay, we'll pay you the millions of dollars a day. Just come in and read the line. And that's what he did. 
He didn't read the script. He had no idea what was going on. He showed up. He read the cue cards, and they had an earpiece. That's why you'll notice the scenes when he's moving around, particularly the Krypton scenes. He never does. You'll never see him on screen with either one profile or the other. I forget which, one, which way it is. Because he's got an earpiece in under the wig. Uh, someone off screen is telling him the line, and then he repeats it. And uh, uh, so he was not really into it. You can get around that in some of the stuff, like the five-minute bit here when he's the floating head. This, to me, is his best bit. The, the delivery is good. It, it's spooky, but it's serious. I can imagine a young Kal-El who's grown up thinking he was just some sort of a weird human is now being told at the age of 18, after he watches this fortress being built in front of him, my son, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> your son? Who's your son? And I love that when he just says what he says, Marlon says his stuff, and then he just says, so speak. <laughs> I love that. I don't know why, but I love that <laughs> that opening bit. It, it, it's just so perfect. It's Marlon Brando, and, and it's his voice. He's delivering it well, and we don't have to laugh at the wig and all the other bad makeup and stuff on him. Because it's just a floaty head thing. It's all fuzzy. It looks good. It's great. It's spooky. And then Kal-El says, exact, Clark says exactly the right thing he should say when Jor-El says, so speak. Who am I? Your name is Kal-El. Well, he even pronounced that a little goofy, too. Brando has a little problem with Kryptonian, I think. But, uh, but uh, your name is Kal-El. My name is what? what uh, could you spell that for me? It's what? <laughs> yeah, it's just funny. I loved it. But uh, this, to me, is my favorite Marlon Brando part. of, uh, mm. uh, And the only line that I have a problem with, which is the same thing I have a problem with some of the others, Donner adding the, the uh, earth biblical stuff, the Jesus stuff starts here. For that, they are a good people, Kal-El. So I have sent you them to show that they only need to see the light. So I have, for that reason, sent you them, my only son. Why didn't he just go ahead and use my only begotten son? I mean, you know, <laughs> if you're going to use the scripture, go ahead and use the scripture. But no, that's one of my problems. I don't want Superman... Um, I don't know how to phrase this and be, you know, but I... I Jesus is Jesus. This is Superman. He's not Jesus, you know? And, and also, I think what I really prefer is better writing where, let, let's say if you're Jewish and um, you're watching or reading the Superman story and Jor-El and Laura put the baby in the rocket to send it off and they say something, uh, sending it there so he has a better chance to live, for, to survive. And let's say somebody in the audience then says, wow, that's a lot like the Moses story. Okay? That's cool because that's not quoting scripture. That's then somebody in the audience saying, wow, that's a lot like. But then when you actually have a Kryptonian quoting New Testament scripture from Earth, then, you know, you're stretching it a little bit. And then they go a little further to put Superman in certain poses with halos and glows. And, you know, uh, 
I, I, I think it makes him even more special if he's not a deity. He's just a man with extraordinary powers. But underneath all those powers, he's a man trying to cope. He's a super man, not a super god. And I think that really, I don't know, it's one of my pet peeves. And, they, and since Donner really started it, I think, for the masses of, 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 of not making it subtle, where somebody goes, oh, that's a lot like Moses, or oh, that's a lot like Jesus. It's one thing for someone who knows the scripture to then see similarities, but for the writers to actually use phrases and attitudes and that kind of thing, to hitch over the head with, hey, this is a new Jesus story. Um, I have a real problem with that. And Brando does it at the very end of a great speech right here in this little five-minute bit. He ends it with, so that's the reason I have sent you them, my only son, to show them the light and the way. Amen. <laughs> Yeah, it's not subtle. I mean, it's, it's not subtle. We even talked about it's that. No, we talked about that in the trailer. Even the trailer, uh, he's, the, the the narrator says he sent them his only son. You know, I mean, it, it's like, and it's coming at Christmas time. Uh, so. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, it was so not Superman's subtle. a Christmas movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, totally take me out of the whole narrative and the whole thing, but it is one of those little things where I kind of cringe and think you didn't have to hit us over the head with it because now it's become part of the mythos. It's almost now it's part of the, the comics do it. Uh, man of steel did it. I mean, oh, yeah. my, how, how could you, it, he may have a man of steel. He may have just, well, well been dressed in robes and stuff and <laughs> with that one scene where he went to the church and the stained glass behind him and i'm waiting for the choir oh a <laughs> little much little much this is a yeah. superman not a super god Ooh, that sounds argue, like a you story. probably could argue that and we will get to it later on but they undercut that a little by the fact that he kind of does mess up near the end of this movie and he needs miss tessmacher to help save him. You know I mean? He isn't a super yes. God later on, which, which I, yes. you know, he, which is good. I agree with that. I don't want him to be a super God. I want him to be a man who can do amazing things. And he screws up and he does, you know, when he decides yes. to fly back in time, his dad's like, what are you doing? You can't do that. You exactly. Know, that um, the, exactly. The, the last thing that I want to mention before we, we sign off here is I do want to ask you guys a question. And this always puzzled me as a kid. When he does the whole bit about speak and Kal-El says, you know, who am I now? I could never reconcile in my mind whether the fortress is sort of imbued with the ghosts of the Kryptonians. Like the Kryptonians live in a sort of weird spiritual plane. So, so mm -hmm. when, when, when Cal is talking to his, his father in this movie, and of course he talks to his mother in the second one, um, is he literally talking to them? Are they coming from another spiritual plane to talk to their son? Or is the science of the fortress so sophisticated that it is that sort of uh, that aphorism about there will be a point where technology is so sophisticated that it will, it will appear as if to be magic because I can never reconcile. I mean, it's like, is, is the Kryptonian, you know, uh, app so sophisticated that it can, <laughs> it can, it can prefigure any response that Cal is going to give and therefore they have an answer built in. What happens if Cal said, what's the capital of Virginia? You know, if he asks some weird question that has <laughs> no connection to what Jarrell wanted to talk to him about. 
So I, I've never been able to, and it's fine with me that there, to me, there is no answer. It's really one or the other. But what are, what are your guys thought? Like Chris, like, did you, are they ghosts to you or are they digital recreations? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think in this film, I kind of tend to think that it is something more akin to the fact that it is, it's either somehow connected to their spirits or, or whatever you want to call it, Kryptonian. It's got a line to Kryptonian heaven or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> or, or, or it's uh, something, it's, it's some aspects of them uh, that it's not, it's not as hard sciencey because to me, the, the kind of the notion of the phantom zone almost kind of can point in that direction, you know, that, that there is an ability to, and I'm not saying that they escaped into some kind of other kind of phantom zone or anything, but because uh, we know they didn't. But it, it <laughs> and it's also just the way that it's presented because when Jorel's face first appears, it's like this this crystal, almost like death mask that that appears. Right, it's right. really neat. It's, mm-hmm. and you see more of it in the end of this scene than in, than in our minutes right here. But uh, and then. You know, his face kind of, it's kind of interesting because Jor-El's face kind of, uh, the way it appears changes. Because if it, it cuts back to Jeff East and it cuts back to him and then all of a sudden, you know, first it's kind of, you know, more just really uh, uh, lots of shadows and extreme highlights. And then suddenly it's just kind of a semi-transparent Marlon Brando head. And uh, so I don't know, it's almost like the, you could you could chalk that up to it being technology as well, but it's almost like, it's almost like the crystals are a medium that have, like, you know, called the, 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 the you know, the, the uh, um, it's a seance <laughs> in a way almost. <laughs> it's the the signals getting stronger. You know, it's they're able to to reach it. But I don't think they're exactly. I think it's somewhere in between, probably. But I think it is. I, I do tend to think of it a little bit more as more of a, a spiritual uh, type interface than just a simple. Uh, like an AI that's based on Jor-El, okay. you know, I, right. I, that, that's kind of the way I look at it, but it's totally open to interpretation. Interesting. Till this very second, have I ever considered it anything more than a really, really, really well done, sophisticated, um, computer program. Okay. It, right. it never occurred to me that he was actually talking to Jor-El, that he was talking to, um, you know, just by the way Jor-El even opens it up uh, by saying, you know, um, you're 18 by Earth years. Uh, by that count, I have been dead for many thousands of years. Mm. So uh, I think it was something that they recorded. He recorded parts of this. But these crystals, he also said that he's put the uh, uh, it, 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 entire collective knowledge of the 28 known galaxies um, in these crystals, and they would be able to help you and answer questions. And this is what we're going to start with. And then, you know, uh, class starts. And, uh, <laughs> but, but you know, yeah, but I've kind of thought that it, uh, they're gone. They're all gone, except for Phantom Zone and Argo City and Supergirl and... <laughs> <laughs> the well, bottle city of candor and we're gonna say we're, we're gonna chris and i are saving it for supergirl minute when we when we do that show so, uh, <laughs> the, the totally yeah, unrelated can argo yeah. city that doesn't look a thing like krypton <laughs> <laughs> i know i know 
but uh, but yeah, that's it's interesting that yeah, I had never actually thought of Jor-El being any kind of a spiritual living thing. I thought it was very sophisticated AI. Well, I think the thing that kind of put me over a little bit toward the other direction was the Donner cut when you actually see the footage of Jor-El coming to, to you know, the, it's coming to give Clark his powers back. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, that was the original intention of the, you know, of the original Superman too. And so, I mean, you could say that it's the, that it's the, uh, the AI somehow taking form or something, but to me, I, it just, it means more if it's actually somehow, at least partially jor spirit that, you know, touches his son. And, and then of course, then he, he should be gone. I mean, that should be the end of him. There's no more connection to him. That connection is lost and gone. And, and I think it pretty much was supposed to be until you get to some of the weird stuff that happens in Superman four, which of course it's not Jor-El, but it's other Kryptonians talking to him. And uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I kind of waffle back and forth, but I think there's a little, <laughs> I, I tend to think just personally, there's a little bit more going on there than just a really super, super advanced computer program. But that again, yeah. just my yeah. opinion. <laughs> well, I think that's great. I love that, 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 that it's, it, it can lead to either one of those interpretations. You know, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, yeah I, wow. I always thought something like that because clearly, as Chris points out with the Phantom Zone, like you live forever in the Phantom Zone, like you right. die. So they have, right. on some level, pierced that notion of you know the physical corporeal form that right. is limited because you're just going to stay there for, and you're going to stay young forever too. You're just going to stay in there unless, of course, a nuclear bomb blows blows you up and gets you out, and you, then you come to, <laughs> right. come, to come to Houston. But that's all other thing. So, uh, well, that's pretty much going to do it for, for these minutes, uh, unless anyone else has, has anything else they want to say about this, this section of the movie. I just want to mention one weird little thing. There was a McDonald's in our college town of Moorhead, Kentucky, that had all these weird glass tubes hanging from the ceiling <laughs> and up from the <laughs> up from around where the condiment stand was and 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 every time we ate in there, I felt like I was eating a Big Mac in the Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> oh, God, I'm like, did, uh, the guy that designed that had to have seen Superman the movie. It's just, there's no way. It was just, I mean, I was just looking for a crystal to drop in to, to the tube or something. <laughs> uh um, so, all right. Well, I think that's that's pretty much going to do it for this section of the movie. Bob, uh, thank you so much for for joining us. I mean, we Chris and I talked early on when we were going to do the show. There were some people we had to have on, uh, and you were one of them. And we're really glad you were able to finally join us. And this, of course, you will not be your only guest appearance on the show as we as we move through the movie. You'll you'll be uh, coming back again to talk about other sections. So, but thank you so much for stopping yeah, by. Yeah, looking forward to it. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And thanks, Rob and Chris, for inviting me. This is uh, when I heard you guys were doing this, and and you invited me. I was, you know, beside myself, absolutely thrilled. There are a few things that I love to talk about, and Superman obviously is one of them. I have a whole podcast where I do nothing but talk about Superman. So, you know, being able to talk about Chris Reeve in the first movie and in little bits. That's so cool. Cause <laughs> you know, with this movie, we can do that. It's so easy. Somebody says, well, what do you mean? One minute or five minutes at a time? What are you going to, that's going to be a short podcast. No, 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 no,
No. So uh, thank you so much for inviting me. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to our uh, upcoming segments. It's going to be fun. Yep. Uh, tell people where they can find Superman Forever. Uh, at supermanforever.com. It's real easy. Or iTunes or Stitcher or Apple, whatever that other thing is called. Wherever you get your podcasts, search for Superman Forever, and you will find Superman Forever Radio uh, with me, Bob Fisher. Yay. Hey. <laughs> Chris, why don't, you, uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find the rest of our shows? Oh, you can find all our shows on fireandwaterpodcast.com. And that's uh, shows Rob does, show, uh, shows I do, shows all our pals do there. A couple other shows me and Rob do together sometimes. And of course, they're out on iTunes and every place else you can find podcasts. So, and, and please leave us a comment uh, in. Uh, on Superman Movie Minute there and let us know what you think. Absolutely. Yeah, very cool. So, again, Bob, thanks so much for stopping by. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And I do, we want to extend, of course, another thanks to uh, Alex Robinson and Pete the Retailer from Superman Movie Minute who created this format and are very generous in letting us uh, borrow it for, for our purposes here. And you can find more Movie by Minute shows, which are growing all the time over at movie by, moviesbyminute.com. Again, we'll have all those links in the show notes. So, Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, we will see you guys next week. Bye. 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 This country is safe again, Superman, thanks to you. No, sir. Don't thank me, Warden. We're all part of the same team. Night.